limp. And in that book, a line stuck with me. It said, humility often comes through humiliation. And that is not very fun. Or have you ever asked God to like reveal sin in your life, but you've actually like secretly been hoping that he would say, well, you know, I, I look to the depth of who you are. Actually, you're doing pretty well right now, so way to go. You, you know what I'm talking about? Well, a few years ago, I prayed a prayer that I knew was good for me, but I secretly hoped God wouldn't do it because I knew it would cost me everything. Almost six years ago, I prayed a prayer that God would make me new. I prayed that he would give me a new heart and make me righteous at all costs. And if my life was a house, I asked God to remodel everything from the inside out. And today on New Year's Eve, many of us are making New Year, New Me goals. And many of us are making our goals of getting into the gym a few more times, eating a little healthier, saving some more money, being a little more generous. Or maybe that's just me, but I don't think I'm the only one with that. But many of our prayers for this next year go something like this, right? God, would you make me different this next year than I was this last year? Many of our goals center around being better, doing better, so that the world can have at least one better person in it. And in our text this morning, Paul is going to make a case that you don't just need to be better, you need to be made new. Paul's going to make a case that you don't just need to do better, but you actually need to be repurposed. Paul's going to make the case that our world doesn't need just one better person in it, but the whole world needs to be reconciled back to God. If I had one main theme this morning, it would be this. So if you're a note taker, if you just write down this sentence, you'll be good and you can leave. I hope you don't, but you could do that if you wanted. In Christ... You are a new creation with a new purpose and a new message. Let me pray and we'll get into it. Our Father, would you make us a new creation if you haven't already? Would you give us a new purpose if you haven't already? And would you give us a new message if you haven't already? God, we long for you to make all things new, to repurpose all things and proclaim your good news to the world so that all who hear it would bend their knee at your name. God, I pray that this morning, uh, even though it may be cold outside, would you warm our hearts with your word, and would we walk away uh, shaped as new creations with a new purpose and a new message. Jesus, would you be glorified this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to invite all of you to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 16 through 21. And there are three things that I want us to observe from this text. The first is that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The second is that if you are in Christ, you have a new purpose. And the third thing, if you are in Christ, you have a new message. Let me say that again. If you are in Christ, you have, or you are a new creation, you have a new purpose. And you have a new message. So if you're a note taker, I got three points then. Right? First point is a new creation. Second point is a new purpose. And the third point is a new message. So let us get started. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So verses 16 and 17 here, I call this section a new creation because I believe Paul is about to show us what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And because I work at Providence with the college ministry uh, at PC3, I often tell our students, I say, I want us to be good students of the word. And so I say the same thing to us this morning. I want us to be good students of the word. I want us to look at this text and see what it is actually communicating to us. So when we look at it, the first few words that we see in verse 16 is from now on. That's an extremely strong statement. It's as if Paul is drawing the proverbial line in the sand, putting his foot down and saying, no longer will it be this way, but it will be this way instead. That's a pretty strong statement. And then Paul follows that up with that word, therefore. When I was in my Bible studies class in college, I was taught a simple question. What is that therefore, therefore? Right? So what is that therefore, therefore? Our first, therefore, is connecting Paul's previous thought to our section in 2 Corinthians. Look at, me, uh, look at uh, verse 12 with me. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. He then goes on to talk about how he and Timothy are different from other people trying to lead the Corinthian church because Paul and Timothy are compelled and controlled by the love of Christ. In the Andrew McGill paraphrased version of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 might read like this. I am putting my foot down. I am drawing the line. In light of Timothy and I being controlled and compelled by the love of Christ, Timothy and I regard no one according to the flesh, their human nature alone. Even though he once regarded Christ, According to the flesh, Paul does that no longer, which begs the question, why? And then Paul uses that word, therefore, again. So what's that, therefore, therefore? And what follows are some of the most poetic promises of the New Testament. In light of no one being regarded purely According to their human nature alone, Paul shifts our eyes heavenward and says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old, everything that used to define you, everything that used to be a part of you, everything for anyone in Christ is gone. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that beautiful? Let me tell you a little bit about my story to help illustrate this a little bit. Before Christ was in my life, my BC days, if you will, I was a good guy, I was a good athlete, and I was a good student. I grew up in a family that went to church, and if my life was a house, then Jesus was on my front porch. I would go out and I would talk to him, and he would help me dress up the outside of my house, I was involved in my community. I was a successful and decorated athlete. 
and I was accomplished in the classroom. My old identity was that I was a good person, I was a good athlete, and I was a good student. And after I graduated from high school, I reported early for football camp, and on practice number seven, I tore my right knee. And as I was rehabbing that, I tore my left shoulder. And then I rehabbed that all the way back, played one game the next season, and the very next practice, I retore my left shoulder. So in the course of 12 months, I had three major surgeries. And I was politely told by the university that I was not allowed to play football for them anymore because I was a liability. Still in. Uh, but there goes my athletic identity. Around that same time, I began to develop a sleeping disorder that would render me incapable of normal life for the next six years. I'd fall asleep and wouldn't wake up for days. Going to class then, or working on homework, was next to impossible for me. Even with the help of my professors, I would fail class after class because I wasn't able to wake up on time. And there goes my academic identity. In conjunction with all of this, as my identity was being stripped from me, I began to spiral into a very deep depression and chased after about anything that I thought would give me joy. And in pursuit of this imposter of joy, I pushed anyone who loved me or liked me just outside of arm's reach. By no means did I become a bad person, according to the world's standards, but I was so far away from the good guy that entered into college that I didn't even recognize the man in the mirror. And there goes my good guy identity. And through all of this, Jesus remained on my front porch. And that was until January 1st, 2012, at 12.01 in the morning. I was at a big Jesus convention in Denver, where a lot of our college students currently are. And I just remember hearing the worship leader say, Hey, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, I would like to just create a space for you to do that. And so I crawled into a corner and asked Jesus to come into my life. That was the first moment that I actually opened the door to my house and invited him in. And in that moment, I was made new. I was a totally new creation. No longer was I recorded, uh, accorded, no longer was I regarded according to the flesh. No longer was my identity wrapped up in whether or not I could play football. No longer was my identity wrapped up in whether or not I could get a college degree or whether people liked me or loved me. My identity was that I was a new creation. My identity was that I was a beloved child of God. And over the past six years of my life, Jesus has been remodeling and restoring my house. Room by room, he's been ripping down walls and repurposing the rooms. Sometimes with a sledgehammer, other times with a scalpel. But this morning, I just want to create a space in this room to invite you into what Jesus did in my life six years ago. If Jesus has been on your front porch, would you open up your front door and invite him in? Providence, the rest of this passage hinges upon being a new creation. 
The rest of this life and the next hinges upon being a new creation. We don't just need to be better people. We need to be made new. And if you are a new creation, would you continue to allow Jesus access into new rooms for him to remodel and repurpose? Because we live in the in-between, what Jesus has already done on our behalf and what is yet to come, would you allow Jesus to continue making your current reality reflect your eternal reality? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That's our first point. Our next point is that if you are in Christ, you have a new purpose. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. As we just looked at our first point, we see that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And if God has made us a new creation, then the next question we should ask is, why? Why has God made us new creations? And Paul's answer to why God would do that is to give us a new purpose. That's why I titled my second point, A New Purpose. Right at the end of verse 18, Paul says that the purpose for why Christ has made him a new creation was for the ministry of reconciliation. And that word Reconciliation is used as an accounting term. It means to return to favor with or to receive one into favor. And in this case, Paul's acknowledging that since we all are not perfect and in need of being made new, that anyone who is in Christ has been reconciled back to God or returned back into favor with God or received in favor with God. And I want us to be good students of the Bible here. When I read this passage before, I thought to myself, oh, well, if anyone is a new creation, then they alone have their own alone ministry of reconciliation. And Providence, that's that's shallowly true. Follow me on this. Paul and Timothy are writing all of this to give the Corinthian church a reason to boast about them. And Paul is writing all this to gently establish his spiritual authority over the body of believers in Corinth to then in chapter 8 call the Corinthian church into giving generously to the church in Jerusalem. And with that in mind, when Paul says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation as a result of being made new in Christ, we must see how we play our own particular role within that ministry of reconciliation. Specifically, in our text, Paul and Timothy have been peculiarly set apart by God to do the work of church planting and preaching the message of reconciliation. Now, at first glance, we can read this passage and feel an unmerited and inappropriate weight of guilt because the vast majority of people that make up the church have not been peculiarly set apart to be preachers and church planters. 
the vast majority of people have been peculiarly and wonderfully set apart by God to be school teachers, business owners, engineers, stay-at-home parents, and the myriad other occupations in the world. So therefore, the shallow truth of what Paul is saying in these verses is that some people have been called into being preachers and church planters. The much deeper meaning is that anyone who is a new creation has a new purpose to be an agent of reconciliation wherever God has placed them. Whether that is in vocational ministry, preaching, church planting, or in college ministry, or that's at home with your kids, or in the office, or with your roommates, you have the ministry of reconciliation. You have the duty of proclaiming the gospel to the people around you where God has placed you. Providence, there are people all over our city and all over our world that have not been made a new creation. To use the house analogy again, there are broken homes all over this world and all over our city. There are houses where the foundations are crumbling. And there are houses that will be swept away by the storms of life because they have not been built on the solid rock. Some of you have neighbors or family members that have a house in this condition. And Paul is calling the church in Corinth, and I believe he is calling us here at Providence to join into the ministry of reconciliation all over the world and all over our city. Look at verse 19. It says, That is, in Christ God was reconciling the whole world to himself. God's scope of reconciliation is not you individually, but the whole world. And Paul is inviting us into that ministry. So if your life is a house, and Jesus is remodeling it, then your house is being remodeled for the new purpose of joining into the ministry of reconciliation of the entire world. I also recognize that because of what God has called you into, you may not be able to go to the entire world. So I want to call you into the same thing that Paul is calling the church in Corinth into. Would you join in the mission and ministry of reconciliation by proclaiming the gospel to your neighbors and your family members? For many people in this room, your new role, your new purpose is to join in the ministry of reconciliation by simply telling your neighbor, your coworker, your children, or your roommate that Christ can make them a new creation. And for some people in the room, that might look like giving financially to Providence for the first time. Because remember, Paul is writing this specifically to the church in Corinth about giving generously to the mission and ministry of reconciliation. And one of the many things that I appreciate about Providence is that only about 10% of the money that comes into Providence goes for an actual physical building. That means 90% of the funds that come into Providence go immediately to 
the mission and ministry of reconciliation in some form or fashion. So a very simple way for you to join in the ministry of reconciliation here in Omaha is to give financially to Providence. One more practical way that we can join in the ministry of reconciliation. This summer, PC3 is going to be sending two missionary teams, one to Thailand and one to Mexico City. And so as a way to partner and join in the ministry of reconciliation, would you be praying for those teams regularly? Would you send them and would you support them? Okay, that's my shameless plug for PC3. All right. Because of the great work of regeneration that Christ has done by making you a new creation with a new purpose, would you join in the ministry of reconciliation however God would call you to join? Point one was being a new creation. Point two was having a new purpose. And point three is having a new message. Look with me at verses 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So our third point is a new message. And I want us to be good students of the word again. And we see that word therefore. What is that therefore, therefore? And it's there because Paul is saying in light of being a new creation, in light of having a new purpose to join in the ministry and ministry of reconciliation, Paul and Timothy are saying they are ambassadors for Christ. And the nature of an ambassador is that an ambassador does not proclaim things on their own behalf. Paul and Timothy are proclaiming the message of reconciliation on behalf of God. So too, our message of reconciliation, our ministry of reconciliation, is with the authority of Christ himself. Not in our skill, not in our qualifications or our own goodness, but in Christ alone. As if that were not good enough, there is more. God is making his appeal for reconciliation to the whole world through those who have been made new in Christ. When Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, the original Greek in that statement could also be translated, we implore the whole world on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Essentially, Paul is saying that God makes his appeal for the whole world to be reconciled through people who have been made new. And then Paul drops one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we anyone who is a new creation, might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whoa. Let that sink into your heart. 
as ambassadors for Christ, Paul and Timothy proclaim a new message of reconciliation. A message that God has made Jesus to be sin for the world's sake in exchange for the righteousness of God. What a marvelous exchange. Paul and Timothy have been showing that everything that they do is out of being compelled and controlled by the love of Christ and what Christ has done for them. And because Jesus has made them new creations through his death and his resurrection, Paul and Timothy are therefore repurposed. They have a new purpose to be agents of reconciliation. And then they are also calling the Corinthian church to join in with them, to partner in the ministry of reconciliation. And Providence, that's our call this morning. As new creations with a new purpose, we are to proclaim a new message to the world. And that message is, for our sake, he made him to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This message of reconciliation is from God to us for the whole world. And how did we earn it? Trick question. We didn't. Jesus did. And how did we get it? By accepting it. Six years ago, I prayed a prayer that I knew was good for me, but I knew that it would cost me everything. It would cost me all of the sin that I was clinging on to so tightly. It would cost me all of the shame that clung on to me so tightly. It would cost me the guilt, the pride, the lust, the addictions. It would cost me everything. I asked Jesus to make me new. I surrendered my life to him. I opened the front door of my life and invited him into my house. But I think more accurately, Jesus was turning the knob right and I was turning the knob left and eventually I just let go and let him in. And in that moment, I was made into the righteousness of Christ. Providence, that is what Jesus offers us. And he also offers that to our neighbors, to our coworkers, our family members, and people all over the world. This morning, I want to challenge the new creations in this, in this room. Would you be an ambassador and tell your neighbor, your family member, or coworker about the great exchange of how they can be reconciled back to God? And if you still have Jesus on your front porch, or maybe even nowhere in sight, can I be the first one to tell you, I know the greatest carpenter that has ever lived who can make your house new. If anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation with a new purpose, and you have a new message. I want to leave you with this. If you are a new creation, then your whole life has been made new. Jesus has made you into something new. Imagine what it would be like if we were sitting here one year from now, 
and our friends and our family members and our co-workers were sitting here next to us because Christ had made them new creations as a result of making you a new creation. Imagine if you took the call to be an ambassador for Christ seriously and God worked through you to bring some of your loved ones here and into the fold of God. For the last 2,000 years, Christ has been in the business of reconciling people back to himself. And he's been doing it through using wonderfully and extraordinarily normal people like you and me. And on the edge of a new year, would you ask Jesus to continue to make new creations? Give new purposes with a new message. Let's pray. Jesus, would you make new creations? One year from now, would there be people sitting in these seats that previously were not new creations? God, would you make your appeal through us for our neighbors, our coworkers, our roommates, our family members to be reconciled back to God? Jesus, we long to see you shape and remodel and renew people's lives. Oh God, would you do a mighty work in the year 2018? Would you grow this church? Would you grow all of us? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.